bum bum bottom 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 bum
Falcon and the Winter Soldier because folks have said that John Walker, when he wears the helmet uh-huh. of Captain America, looks like the Six Flags guy. Oh, that's hilarious guy. and accurate. And Weird. also mean. <laughs> but yeah, so I love the idea that you're going to get a shot at Six Flags and I'm going to the Naval Academy to get mine. Uh, um, maybe they'll slip a little super soldier serum in there. Oh, boy, I would love that. Give me a little of that sauce. Give but me a I, bit I, of don't, that juice. I don't want the Nagel one. No, I want no. the OG. Yeah, give me the Erskine I want, sauce. I want the man maker. Yeah, give me the man maker. But like, it is crazy how great I feel knowing that I'm going to be <laughs> partially vaccinated soon. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, like, like when you called me, you said, check your texts. I checked my text. Boom. There it was. And it's. Like like this like ripple of energy went through my body. This excitement and relief. It happened so much quicker than I anticipated. Well, because we've been registered with Fairfax County and also Kaiser Permanente forever and getting nothing. Right. And um, we signed up with Maryland yesterday. Yep. And uh, my mom was like, how did you do that? Are you cheating? And I was like, no, Maryland is taking all comers. Yeah. So if you, like us, uh, live near Maryland, <laughs> within an hour of Maryland, Get your vaccine. Yeah. Get it done. Get, Get it that done. shot. Let's pew, get pew. back into comic conventions. Yes. When you're vaccinated, Lisa, like if the next day was San Diego Comic-Con, would you go to San Diego Comic-Con? Not the very next day because you have to wait, <laughs> wait two weeks. All right. two. So two weeks after that, will you feel comfortable waiting into that crazy hall where you're shoulder to shoulder with humanity. Not until we get some of these variants under mm. control, but do you know what I am going to do? What? I'm going to get my eyebrows done. Yeah. That hasn't happened in a year. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to get a haircut. I'm definitely getting a haircut. That I'm hasn't happened in a year. So sick of this mullet. I'm going to take a meal outside. Yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so I I'm I'm really relieved. For some reason I like so like when we first got into the pandemic like, we're like, how many weeks is this going to be? Yeah, go back to our early episodes from this, 2020. We could be inside for three months. <laughs> and now, like, I'm, I'm like, I can't believe that it's ending. Yeah. Or yeah. is it? Who knows? It, well, yeah, let's let's knock on wood. Let's yeah, no, I'm going to start licking telephone poles out, don't, outside. Don't lick any telephone I'm gonna poles. I'm going to start breathing breathing in the faces of the elderly no, in don't three do weeks that. or don't less. Don't do that. I'm, I am hoping that we can all get out there, get vaccinated, so that I do eventually feel comfortable going into Hall H in San Diego again yes, yes. in the near future because, like we've said many times on this podcast, cons are really the things I miss the most. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss going out to movies. I miss going to restaurants. I miss my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really miss comic book conventions. Yes, I miss comic book conventions. I want to sit in a panel. Yeah. I Before we went into this pandemic, oh, we were man. supposed to do a panel. At AwesomeCon. At yeah. AwesomeCon. So I, I can't wait to submit to some panels. Yeah, yeah. 2022, hopefully we will have a comic book couples counseling panel at a few conventions. And we want to see you there. And we want to see you and there. And we want to breathe in your face. Like the, the thing is, I'm not going to breathe in anyone's face. Don't worry. Uh, the, the, the thing also was like right before the pandemic hit, we bought all those stickers oh, and yeah. buttons to give out <laughs> at the summer convention season. So we have lots of buttons and stickers to give to people. Yeah, we do. So, uh, uh hit us up on uh, Twitter. Our DMs are open. If you want a button, I can yeah, get you a button. Yeah, we'd be happy to s- put something in the mail yeah. for you. Uh, free of charge. Okay. I think that's some good banter. I feel pretty jazzed about this vaccination thing. Me too. 
All right, we've we've covered the thes. I like a the. Lisa doesn't like the the. We have not changed each other's minds, but I'm not here to change Lisa's mind on the use of the word the. Good, because you can't. Oh, okay, fine. Well, let's talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I mean, the Winter Soldier, God damn it. <laughs> uh, so as Lisa and I have already alluded to a little bit, we've been breaking down each episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier over in our Patreon feed, having a lot of fun with it. We're three episodes down, halfway through the series, and what I really like about the MCU version of this relationship between Sam and Bucky is how they are connected through their bromance with Steve Rogers. And we all have friendships like that where yeah. I wouldn't hang out with this person if it wasn't for this person. And when when the connecting human is not there, it's a little bit awkward. It's a little awkward, right? And so in the comics, you know, Falcon and Steve have had some great adventures together. Bucky and Steve had had, have had some great adventures together, but Bucky and Sam have never really been an item until recently with this miniseries, Falcon and Winter Soldier from Landy and Vincentini. And from page one, it's clear that that's the mission of this miniseries is to replicate that dynamic that we see in Captain America Civil War and in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier Disney Plus series in the Marvel Comics 616 universe. And I got to say, like when I first saw the plan for this book, I was a little skeptical, maybe even a little irritated that they were so blatantly trying to go for that MCU vibe. But the comic won me over. and I, It's super cute. It's super cute, right? Like, it's a really enjoyable storyline. And I do like seeing these two together. And what's great about the comic book version is that both of these characters at this point have already been Captain America. So there's like an extra layer of baggage to their relationship. But Brad, I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves. Can you give us a little BG on the SMB? B BG. Background. Oh, bad. On oh. Sam and Bucky. <laughs> yeah, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Sam Wilson, he made his first appearance in Captain America number 117, published in September of 1969. 69. We can't not do it. We are up top. 69. Uh, he's the creation of Stan Lee and Gene Colan and was the first African-American superhero to appear in mainstream comics. I think that distinction is worth noting. He's not the first black superhero. That title still belongs to Black Panther, but he was the first African-American superhero. In that first issue, Captain America 117, Sam is introduced as a guy who went from training pigeons in Harlem to a falconer imprisoned by a neo-Nazi group called the Exile led by, you guessed it, Red Skull. He has a preternatural relationship with his pet falcon named Red Wing, and this partnership allows him to kick more butt than the average human. By the end of that first series of issues, it's three issues, Wilson becomes a partner to Captain America, and he would eventually get that bird costume and the ability to fly. Uh, his first costume, no wings, very green. For a while, his ability to communicate with Red Wing was explained to be part of his mutant abilities, but his mutant status was eventually retconned in 2001. Boo, I say. How does he still talk to birds? Does he talk to all birds or just Red Wing? Uh, I mean, I think now, oh gosh, I feel like he talks to other birds, but it, it, when he was a mutant, he was definitely talking to all kinds of birds. Because maybe Red Wing is a mutant. Oh, 
They, I don't know if they've explained that. I'm sure there's listeners right now who are going like, guys, you do not understand the intricacies of the Falcon's abilities and where they come from. After 2001, I don't get it. You know what? I still think of him as a mutant personally. Feel free to correct us yeah. at CBCC Podcast. <laughs> in 2014, toward the end of Rick Remender's run on Captain America, Steve Rogers had the super soldier serum drained from his body. He became a feeble old man, and Sam Wilson took up the mantle of Captain America. His solo series was written by Nick Spencer, and while there were some good ideas in it, I felt like Spencer never truly embraced the potential of the character as Cap or all the politics around that idea either. Mark Wade, on the other hand, over in All New Avengers, had a lot of fun with Sam Wilson Cap. And I freaking love his romance with Jane Foster Thor in that book. We should cover that someday, yes, Lisa. Yes, yes. Uh, eventually, though, Steve got his bod back and Wilson gave up being Captain America. Shortly after that is where we meet him in the miniseries we're talking about today. Now, the Winter Soldier's history is a little more complicated and goes back a ways. James Buchanan Bucky Barnes first appeared in Captain America Comics number one, published in March of 1941. He was the creation of Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Hail to the Kings. Huzzah. Bucky was Cap's kiddo sidekick for the first 66 issues until he was shot and replaced by Cap's girlfriend, Betsy Ross, a.k.a. Golden Girl. Jumping ahead to Avengers number four, written by Stan Lee and illustrated by Jack Kirby, Bucky was retroactively said to have gone missing toward the end of World War II, and President Truman secretly replaced him with a series of kid soldiers. Bucky apparently died during the war while in battle with the original Baron Zemo. That tale was told in flashback in Avengers 56 from 1968, a year before the Falcon first appeared. While other characters would take on the role of Bucky throughout the years, most notably Hulk's BFF Rick Jones, James Barnes remained dead until writer Ed Brubaker and artist Steve Epting resurrected him as the Winter Soldier in 2005 within the pages of Captain America Volume 5, issue number one. The Winter Soldier's identity was kept secret for a good portion of that story, although lots of readers suspected it to be the OG Bucky. At the time, I remember feeling conflicted about it. Bucky had been dead for so long, and his death meant so much to Steve, like Uncle Ben to Spider-Man, and I didn't want to disrupt that emotional core. But damn it, Ed Brubaker is just too damn good of a writer. As he explained it, when Zemo's drone exploded with Bucky on it, Bucky got dunked into the ocean and was discovered by a Soviet sub. He was given a robotic arm to replace the missing limb and brainwashed by Moscow's Department X to serve as a Cold War assassin. Eventually, Captain America would tangle with the Winter Soldier, discover his identity, and use Marvel's number two MacGuffin, the Cosmic Cube, to restore his memory. The number one MacGuffin is obviously the Infinity Gauntlet. Duh. Years before Steve Rogers got dejuiced of his serum and Sam Wilson became Captain America, Steve Rogers was apparently killed by a brainwashed Sharon Carter, but the bullet she used was actually a projectile that unstuck Steve Rogers in time, 
while he was reliving critical moments from his life, Bucky Barnes became Captain America for a little while until the reborn miniseries and Steve Rogers came back. It's all very comic booky, but I got to say that it's some of the best Captain America comics out there. If you haven't read that Ed Brubaker run, you got to correct that error. It's still on my list yeah, of comics I, to read. And I feel like when we do eventually cover Steve and maybe Sharon, mm-hmm. that reborn series or the death of Captain America series will be a factor of that podcast. Nice. Uh, All right, folks, Uh, as you should know, while Lisa and I have been married for nearly 12 years and together for 14, we are not actual doctors or love experts. To help aid in our counseling, we turn to some legit professionals for guidance. And Lisa, while we may be sad to say goodbye to last month's various ex-couples, Howlett and Hercules, so much potential still there. I know you're not sad about ditching the normal bar. (laughs) Did you know, Brad, that 100% of the hosts of the Comic Book Couples Counseling (laughs) Podcast are ecstatic to say goodbye to the normal bar because it was the worst. I did know that. But with Sam and Bucky, Lisa, what new love expert will be aiding our conversation this week? Since we are having a one-pod stand with Falcon and Winty Fresh, <laughs> I wanted to find an no. article. You don't like Winty Fresh? <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. Let's, let's workshop it. Let's keep it for now. No, we're keeping it forever. Oh, I wanted to find an article to use that had to do with fostering platonic friendships between men, a bromance, if you will. My initial goog was a little discouraging because I was looking specifically for men befriending men, and what I found, frankly, was triggering. Like, Mm. sometimes you gotta ditch your broad and have some bro time. Mm. And I was finding therapists that specialize in men's issues, and I was like, I don't feel safe. No, thanks. So (laughs) then I thought I would broaden my search to just making friends as an adult, and Brad, I found an expert, and I think... I'm smitten. Oh, good, 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 good. Glad to hear it. Our love expert for this ep is Dr. Marissa G. Franco, a psychologist and proclaimed friendship expert. She has written on the subject of making social connections for Psychology Today, The New York Times, The Telegraph, Vice, and she is currently working on a book, Platonic, about how to make friends as an adult, which is not yet available for pre-order, but I'm going to buy it as soon as it uh, is. Ah, future podcast. Yes, and Brad, yeah. she's local. She's from D.C. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. future podcast guest, question mark? Ew. I found an article of hers on Psych.com published in September 2020 entitled, How to Make Friends as an Adult, Friendships Give Us So Much, Be Bold, Take the Initiative, and You'll Be Surprised How Many People Are are pleased to connect. I'm not sure if that's all title or if I accidentally started. It was all the big letters and I just wrote all of those down into the notes. Everyone knows that it feels so much harder to make and maintain friendships as an adult. It's not like kindergarten where you'd notice that someone across the cafeteria table is drinking Heisey Ecto Cooler mm. and then your besties. Yeah, even more hard to maintain those relationships in a pandemic. Yeah, Dr. Franco points out that what makes a friendship different than co-working relationships or romantic familial relationships is that they are voluntary. Mm. And as adults, many of us are choosing to opt out for other priorities. Dr. Franco cites a study that found that being in a romantic relationship and having kids is socially costly. 
A study of young adults' social networks by researchers at the University of Oxford found that those in romantic relationships had, on average, two fewer close social ties, including friends. Those with kids lost out even more. I'm less of a social butterfly and more of like a, a social groundhog. I occasionally poke my little nose out to see if I'm up for friends or yeah. if it's going to be six more weeks of social winter. Yeah, you've done really well in the pandemic. <laughs> I have. I've thrived. And at my darkest, most introverted times, I may ask myself, do I actually need friends. You do. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> but there is research to back that up. Friends are not just fun, but an asset for our mental health. Studies, which Dr. Franco links, suggest that having friends lowers risks for depression and cites specifically Drs. Ed Diener and Martin Siegelman's 2002 study, Very Happy People, which found that a key difference between the most unhappy and the most happy is how socially connected they were. Sure, Dr. Franco, I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm going to conquer my fear of rejection and open my heart to new friendships. Mm. But what do I do first? I've boiled the article down to a handy list of friend-making tips or friend tips. <laughs> I like it. I'm excited about this. Friend tip number one. Assume that people like you. Mm. Wait, wait, what? Just assume that people like me? That's a good one. Turns out that that presumption can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like the secret, but yeah. you know, real. <laughs> Dr. Franco cites an American study from the 1980s that found that volunteers who were led to believe that an interaction partner liked them began to act in ways that made this belief more likely to come true. They shared more about themselves, disagreed less, and had a more positive attitude and generally acted more likable. But of course, the conductor of those experiments were intentionally misleading people into thinking they were likable for science. How am I supposed to mislead myself? Well, you can assume others like you because it's probably true. This is something that I think about because often I go, I, like that doubt does fill your head you know, with with certain friends. And I do treat every interaction with like some kind of audition. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I hope I make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm. Dr. Franco cites a paper by Erica J. Boothby by the Cornell University that found in two-person interactions between strangers in various settings, people tended to underestimate how much the other person liked them, creating a liking gap. In other words, you like the other person more than they know, and they like you more than you know. Mm. Friend tip number two, initiate. I know, I hate to say it, you want friends, you gotta take some initiative. It's hard. They're not going to happen organically. You can exchange numbers, make plans, go to a place, drink a thing, look at stuff. <laughs> a study of older adults in Manitoba found that people who thought friendship was a matter of luck tended to be less socially active and lonelier over the course of five years over those who put in the effort by joining social groups and so forth. And that's Canada, the friendliest place <laughs> on earth and US's favorite hat. So join a yoga class, a film club, or dare I say it, a comic book book club. Meet the people. But getting there is just an undisclosed percentage of the battle. 
Dr. Franco explains, quote, it's not just showing up that matters, it's saying hello when you get there. This means introducing yourself to other people, asking them for their phone numbers, following up and asking them to hang out. Initiating is a process, one that we must do over and over again to make new friendships. Uh, I like all of this so far, Lisa. I know, right? Is there another friend tip? There's five total. Okay, good. Friend tip number three, keep showing up. I know, me too. The second I'm holding a towel, I want to throw it in. I hate holding towels. But Dr. Franco says that one mixer or social gathering is not going to do the trick. It's best to find a social group where you're going to have repeated encounters and continuous interaction. If you make the effort to go to your comic book book club every month, the other members are going to like you because of the mere exposure effect. Dr. Franco cites another study from the University of Pittsburgh that planted four women in psychology classrooms for a full semester where they were not to speak to anyone and the other students in the class hardly remembered them. Hmm. But at the end of the semester, the professor asked which of the women they liked best, and it was the woman who attended the most classes. Human brains love familiarity. Familiar means safe. And don't be shy after the first meeting to say that you're planning to come back for more. Because guess what? Chicken butt. (laughs) Another study showed that people tend to like people more if they know they're going to see them again. When given two profiles, research participants would prefer a profile of a person who says they're going to return to weekly discussions over a person who doesn't mention if they'll be returning or not. Mm. Friend tip number four, get vulnerable. It's going to get squidgy, but Dr. Franco has the science to back it up. Here's a quote. My advice here is based on research from the 1970s that found that the first year undergraduates who were more open about their vulnerabilities to their roommates tended to form deeper friendships with them too. More research studies found that when strangers are getting to know one another, the more they share about themselves, the more they end up liking each other. If you're looking for ways to deepen your connections, vulnerability is the way forward. This doesn't mean... To make a friend, you have to divulge your deepest, darkest secrets. You don't have to pledge your loyalty by giving them something that they can blackmail you with later. (laughs) Just share yourself. Tell people what your passions are, how you spend your free time, or what you're looking forward to, and ask them for the same. I'm biased, obvi, but I think that talking literature Mm. or movies is a great place to start. Because by talking about stories— we indirectly start divulging stuff about ourselves in a way that feels safe yeah. and fun. And it's what we do here on the podcast. It's how every friendship I've ever had has started. It starts with movies and comics. Friend tip number five, rewind the podcast and re-listen to friend tips number one through four because I should have scrolled down before I said that there were five tips. There's just four. Oh, okay. There's just four. <laughs> oh, well. So I think for Sam and Bucky, we should... Note how they interact with each other and try to discern if it's in a way that builds their friendship or maybe avoids a closer relationship. Mm. So uh, the friend tips are they should be assuming that they like each other or that they're well-liked or likable. They should be initiating hanging out with each other. Um, They should keep showing up for each other and they should be getting vulnerable with each other. Because I think being vulnerable 
is just a generous thing to do in general. Yeah, okay, I'm excited about this. But before we can even get into Falcon and Winter Soldier, we got to do a little words of affirmation. Na 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 affirmations. Last week we had a huge crop of new Patreon members join our community, and this week we were sent some of the most loving reviews on our Apple Podcast page. There are many ways to support us, and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is probably the most effective in helping us reach new listeners. We're climbing those charts one review at a time, people. So, Lisa, why don't you kick us off with this first review from Nurse Daddy? Ah, I'd be happy to. A very solid listen from Nurse Daddy. I came across this great podcast not so much as a comic book fan, but as a fan of great conversational chemistry. Brad and Lisa indeed have that, and also a near encyclopedic knowledge of all these comic books. I love the concept of exploring intimate relationships in the comic book medium, and they do it so well. I would be excited to hear them talk about some less mainstream graphic novels, <laughs> such as Mouse by Art Spiegelman, Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi, or anything by Neil Gaiman and Dave McKeon, but I'm not sure that these works are what their audience is interested in. In any case, this is a fantastic podcast from two very enthusiastic hosts. I will indeed listen again. Yay! Thank you, Nurse Daddy. Nurse Daddy, thank you for that review. Uh, Clearly, you've been listening to our episodes in 2021. They've been very superhero-focused. But if you go back a little bit, you'll find some less mainstream stuff that we've covered in the past. Usagi Yojimbo, not too long ago. We've covered lots of little indie titles here and there. Bloom by Kevin Panetta and Savannah Ganachow. But I do think if we are covering, like, paternal father-son relationships, Mouse would be a great one. I I mean, I I would really like to tackle Mouse. It's been a long time since I've read it, uh, but I think there's a lot to explore there. Also, I've never read Sandman. Yeah, I know. We've been talking about how we would integrate that into the podcast because it was the first comic book series I read all of the way through pre-Brad. We were thinking maybe doing a summer Patreon series on Sandman, but maybe it would be a good main feed show. Like, I just don't know, because I've never read it, I just don't know what the relationship would be that we would focus on to cover here in the main feed. I don't know. If you've got ideas, listeners, let us know. I'm very curious to explore that series. Uh, all right. So, Nurse Daddy, thank you for that. We also have two more reviews here. I'll They're read shorties. those. They're short. This first one comes from Sillyfish10. It's titled, One of Our Favorite New Shows, Five Stars. As one half of a nerdy couple, this has quickly become one of our favorite new shows. They always give us some great new comics to check out. The banter is fun and organic. And that theme song is fire. Check this out. OWP, Online Warriors Podcast. Uh, They are also on Apple Podcasts. Give them a listen. I owe them a review, it looks like. Uh, (laughs) Then the final review comes from The Real Jerry Dugan. Had me at the theme music five stars. The theme song immediately let me know this couple didn't take themselves too seriously. Oh boy, if you only knew how seriously Lisa took making (laughs) that theme song. Uh, And this would be a fun show to listen. Love the dynamic of these two and I learn a lot about comics I never knew. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for those reviews. Truly appreciate it. Shall we move into the comic, Lisa? Let's do this. Okay, Brad, whatever you do, 
don't transition into this next segment with an Ace Ventura alrighty then. That joke has run its course, and Lisa is not having it. I truly am not. Entering transition in three, two, one, and time to talk about the comic book. Ooh. <laughs> That's super catchy. Time to talk about the comic book. That's my new transition, Lisa. This week, we're covering the Marvel Comics miniseries, Falcon and Winter Soldier, No Thus, issues one through five, subtitled Cut Off One Head, written by Derek Landy, illustrated by Federico Vincentini, colored by Matt Mila, and lettered by Joe Caramanga. Man, it's been a while since we've had such a singular and consistent creative team on a book. Feels pretty good, Lisa, don't you think? I really enjoyed the art in, these, in yeah, this volume. I, I just loved the consistency, but yes, also the art is fantastic. Here's the plot synopsis courtesy of Goodreads. An office of dead government agents, a gifted new killer, two ex-Captain Americas, when a dramatic attempt on the life of Bucky Barnes reunites him with Sam Wilson, the two old friends are plunged headlong into a race to uncover the new leader of Hydra before a mass casualty event announces the terror group's resurgence to the world. The clock is ticking. Pretty good. Pretty good. Nailed it. I had no complaints. No notes. Good no reads. notes on that synopsis. Very good. Very good. Okay, Lisa. So where where should we start with this first issue? Let's start at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> Who am I to argue? <laughs> well, the uh, first page shows Bucky and his kitty cat Alpine living a very serene life uh, in Indiana. Alpine is snuggling with Bucky. Bucky's doing a little uh, meditation. And then knock, knock. Here comes a gang with machine guns. That's right. And I think that this connects to how they're tying him to the MCU, like that Bucky is in this place of healing and centering himself. Mm -hmm. And it's solitary. It's Mm -hmm. a solitary Mm -hmm. thing to Mm -hmm. do. But he takes care of those goons pretty quickly. And what I like is in his escape, he brings Alpine with him. And there's that great panel on the bottom of the last page of Bucky's introduction where he's got Alpine snuggled up and s- snuck away inside his jacket aboard his motorcycle. What I wouldn't give to be that little kitty cat. Yeah. Now let's compare that to Falcon. Mm. He's just returning home from work, and he's getting all of these phone calls, first from Leo Garvin, who has been checking up on this missing person, Mackenzie, and she di- she disappeared from the Office of Federal Utilities, or OFU. Yep, Marvel loves a good acronym. And then Falcon checks a second voicemail, and it's from someone named Jason. It's also a work call. Turns out that the OFU is actually a government agency that tracks terrorist cells or something. But the phone call ends with... Hey, how about we have a game night? You can bring Misty. There's a new pack of Cards Against Humanity. (laughs) We hear that Falcon has friends at work, that he gets social calls. Yeah, yeah, and that's not what's happening with Bucky. And these friends know the private things in his life, that he's seeing Misty, and he 
enjoys a game that is loosely based on improv. So this Misty, we can presume that it's Misty Night. It's definitely Misty Night. Uh, at this point in all new, all different Captain America, Nick Spencer had partnered Sam up with Misty Night. Uh, Misty Knight is like a cool 70s uh, black exploitation kind of character in the same vein as Luke Cage. Um, she had her arm blown off in some sort of, I don't know if it was a domestic terrorist situation or just a robbery situation, but Tony Stark built her that robotic arm and she eventually partnered up with Colleen Wing and did like a uh, private investigation team called Daughters of the Dragon. So cool. V uh, very cool. I mean, some of their early comics, like a lot of the early Power Man stuff are awkward and Mm, problematic, but as the character has grown recently, uh, I, I think is just there's there's a lot of untapped potential, and I liked what Spencer was doing with it, but I'd like to see a little bit more going on with the Daughters of the Dragon. And even though I was largely mm, disappointed by all of the Netflix shows, I thought the way that Simone Missick played her in Luke Cage was great and truly revealed that there's a lot more depth to be explored with that character. Well, we're not going to get any more Misty Knight here. No. But she is available to cat sit, which is nice. Um, so when Bucky and Sam finally meet up, it's at the OFU office and everybody's dead. Yeah. Falcon was following up on the lead and Bucky is there because he had been working for the OFU. They would send him to a terrorist school and he would wipe it out. Sam is surprised to see him and Bucky mentions that it's been a while. So they're clearly not particularly tight. And at first, Sam assumes that it was Bucky who killed right. everybody. And Bucky's feelings are a little bit hurt. Yeah, I'm not that guy anymore. And Falcon mentions that he's following up on Sally McKenzie, who had been in his vet support group and stopped attending. And then Bucky's like, well, maybe she did this. And he says, like, I know her. She wouldn't have done this. And so we see, and Bucky goes like, well, how do you know if the OFU was following up on her? Clearly, she must be under suspicion. And so there's kind of this tug and pull between Sam and Bucky of how do you really know a person? Can a person be truly known to their core where you can, you can be with them and know that they are capable or not capable of clearing out an office full of people with bullets. Sam does not trust Bucky's perspective at this point. And Bucky doesn't trust Sam's perspective either because he doesn't know what it is to know someone so well that you are certain that they are not a murderer. The scene in the office ends with Bucky asking Sam, are you still seeing Misty? And Sam is taken aback by yeah. the personal question. And he's like, yeah, why? Because clearly it's not because he thinks that Bucky is has any kind of concern for what's happening in his personal life. And of course, it's because 
He wants someone to watch Alpine while they go check on Victoria Eden, who was his handler with the OFU. Yeah, and we do get a mini time jump in the next panel where they're in Brooklyn. They're about to meet with Victoria Eden. And we learned that he did give Alpine over to Misty and uh, Alpine didn't take too well to Misty. <laughs> well, like daughter, like father. Clearly, Alpine is not very well socialized either. Yeah, I, I also like the fact that both of these characters have pets or animal friends. You know, Bucky has Alpine and Falcon has Red Wing. And while you were just chatting there, Lisa, I went onto Wikipedia just to see like what the deal is with Red Wing right now, because in this comic, he has that like crazy get up on his head. It's like this little like cyborg installation into his brain. And apparently, as it's explained now within continuity, Red Wing has a telepathic link with Sam. So it's not that Sam can communicate with all birds. He just communicates with Red Wing. Oh, man. Like, if I knew that a tiny helmet could be put <laughs> on my snake Peaches and I could know her true thoughts. But, <sighs> like, I see that and I go, like, well, can't we get the get up for Alpine? Like, I want to see more Bucky Alpine action. Alpine <laughs> needs that headgear. Honestly, like, no joke. One of my favorite things about Marvel Comics are the superhero pets, the Pet Avengers. There's an actual comic book called The Pet Avengers where Lockjaw, the Thor frog, Throg, um, who, uh, what's the cat? Oh, gosh, is that? It's not Streaky. Streaky's from Superman. I can't remember what the cat is in Pet Avengers. But like, you know, Alpine, he's ready to graduate to the Pet Avengers and join up with Red Wing. That's what I want to see. Following that, there is an exchange between Bucky and Sam that I want to talk about because uh, Bucky asked Sam, like, what do you think of Hawkeye? Hmm. And Sam's like, Barton? Well, he grows on you. And Bucky, like, looks skeptical. Like, what's the deal with Bucky and Barton, why does he not seem to trust or like him? You know, I didn't really pick up on that while I was reading, but at this time, there really was some sexual competition between Barton and Bucky for the love or bed of the Black Widow, ah, Natasha. Okay. So I think there's some jealousy going on there. It blows my mind that you didn't pick up on it because clearly, like, Bucky brings him up like two or three times. He is fixated yeah, on yeah. Barton. I mean, I'm a pretty dense guy, I guess. And I'm just like moving to plot because like right after that is where we meet up with Veronica Eden. And then we, we meet the one of the villains, not the villain, but we meet the natural. And I think he's kind of an ingenious villain to pit against Falcon and Winter Soldier. These two guys who adore Steve Rogers and who have tried to live up to the ideal of Captain America because the natural is just this punk kid. And Actually, now that I'm looking at it, and now that I'm thinking about Clint Barton, Lisa, he looks a little like Hawkeye, or at least he's wearing <laughs> the purple. He, he's a cute little blonde kid. Uh, I, you know, I think when Bucky's punching the natural, he's seeing Clint's face. Um, but you know, what, what's the natural? It's in the name. He has a natural talent for fighting, for killing, for being a, a, the best soldier he can be. And he's working for Hydra. But again, he's a kid and he's a geek and he is thrilled to be punching two dudes who used to call themselves Captain America. And Derek Laney doesn't necessarily lean too hard into this commentary, but I do feel like the natural is speaking to this gross, toxic fandom that surrounds everything now. I think that this story is tackling toxic fandom from a slightly different angle than the usual conversation. 
because this isn't about like internet trolls and correcty correctorsons. This is about how someone can take a character who can be, who we consider inherently good, like Captain America, and take his message and twist it into something that is wrong it's and sort hurtful. Of like what's going on in the Disney Plus series right now with John Walker. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you wear the uniform doesn't mean you are Steve Rogers. It like, doesn't mean that you understand Steve Rogers better than someone who actually knows Steve Rogers. Yeah, and what comes up in this conversation is, you know, um, uh, the natural saying, like, you know, what would what would Steve think about this moment? How would Steve react in this? moment actually he says captain america react in this moment yeah he said he goes like um if like hydra has asked me to kill you guys as a punishment for killing the entire ofu office uh just on 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 a whim um and so i have these orders and a, a good soldier follows orders but what would a great soldier do? A great soldier questions yes. orders and does what he thinks is best. And that's what Captain America would do. And he's not a, he's not 100% wrong. But it's that ego of odds are if I'm Captain America, I know what's best. Yeah, well, right. And so, uh, you know, getting back to the fandom conversation, I think there's another element here where people talk about like, I hey, I love Captain America, you love Captain America, but you're not loving Captain America in the right way. Mm. There's like this gatekeeping level in this conversation as well that I think is interesting. And a lack of humility about it because this kid is essentially saying Captain America would know exactly what to do and that thing would be the right thing. But here we have two Captain Americas mm. and two different perspectives yes. on what to do in this fight. Like, as soon as Bucky hears, like, this kid cleared out the OFU office, I'm going to gut him with a knife. Right. And Sam is like, "No, what are you doing? Let's arrest him and let's extract information about Hydra from him. Yeah, you have my, your way, I have my way. But that's not the way. Or... It is not Steve's way. Steve has his own way. And any, like, to say that you have the key to unlocking how exactly Steve Rogers would think you have already lost. But I think what's interesting is how the natural doesn't refer to him as Steve Rogers, but as Captain America. This Mm -hmm. is what Captain America would do. And the reality is... There have been multiple Captain Americas. We've had John Walker. We've had Steve Rogers. We've had Sam Wilson. We've had Bucky Barnes. And all of them have succeeded and failed to varying degrees. It's like saying there is only one way to be the president of the United States. (laughs) And by being the president of the United States, you are somehow right. Yeah, but it is an ideal that you're trying to live up to. But all these different folks who have had the chance are striving in different ways and most of the times failing. I think we should, I'd like to at this point, point out this fundamental difference between Bucky and Sam. Bucky being a little bit closer to let's just take care of the problem by, you know, taking care of the problem. By any means necessary. Where Sam is more of the let's do as little killing as possible. And I think that Bucky 
feels judged by Sam. I think he is being judged by Sam. (laughs) But because they have this difference, he feels like maybe Sam doesn't like him. Mm. And And I think it goes back to that liking gap. I think that Sam likes Bucky more than Bucky actually knows. I think that's true. And I think think that Bucky likes Sam more than he has expressed up until this point. I think if you look at your own relationships, whether that's with your partner, your friend, or your family member, you can get along, go along most of the time. But when a big political topic comes up, suddenly a giant wall erects between you two. And so here is the notion of the death penalty, right? Mm -hmm. Bucky is like, let's gut this kid. Sam's like, let's jail this kid. And when you are having a conflict over something that seems so philosophically fundamental, that, that can destroy a relationship, right? And maybe maybe sometimes you do have to draw that line and you can't go anywhere with that other person if they don't join you on this side of the issue. And then other times, maybe you just go like, okay, it's not worth destructing this relationship. Yeah, but like just because you have a fundamental difference with someone doesn't mean that you do not have love for them. No, of course. Yes, yes, yes. And this last batch of years has really tested that for me. This conversation gets continued in the beginning of issue two because Sam and Bucky have been beaten down by the natural. Yeah, they have their butts handed to them. And Bucky wants to discuss why he, why Sam wouldn't let him just kill the natural for killing nine people. And Sam is like, you're, what do you want to be? Do you want to be like Frank Castle? You don't want to be like Frank Castle. And Bucky goes silent. And I think it's because Bucky feels like he already is Frank Castle. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of shame there. I think this is a brilliant use of the Punisher from Derek Landy. This is what makes the Marvel Universe so darn compelling, right? That you can have a character like the Punisher, who we all have opinions on right now, who is a serial killer of the underworld, represents such an extreme. So if the Punisher is on the far right and Sam is on the far left, I think Bucky... I don't think Bucky is hanging all the way out by the Punisher, but he is, his needle is tipping over towards him. But based on Vincentini's artwork, we can see that he does not want to be over there with the Punisher. He feels like he is the Punisher or he's become the Punisher, but he doesn't want to be the Punisher. And I think that at the beginning of this conversation, Bucky is trying to approach being vulnerable with Sam. I think that he wants to have this conversation with Sam, but he is so afraid that Sam is going to reject him. Let's go back to that first page of the first issue where we see Bucky in his home in Indiana and he's meditating. Like, he is trying to figure himself out. He wants to have conversations. He just, you know... 
he might have a little difficulty because of this weird relationship that he has through Steve Rogers to have that conversation with Sam Wilson. And so that talk doesn't conclude. They get back on the mission and they go to this train that is leaving Buffalo because they have heard that Zemo's protege will be on board. And when they land on that train and when they sneak on inside, they discover that all the passengers within are badass killers and they have to fight their way like Snowpiercer. Yeah. Or if you've seen the movie The Hunted with yes. Christopher Lambert, they have to fight their way through the train car by car by car to get to Zemo's protege. And in that fight, it's an awesome sequence. Uh, Bucky and Sam are having so much fun kicking butt back to back. They're bantering. They're making jokes. They're going like, hey, what do you think Zemo's protege is going to look like? Ooh, like a big dum-dum mask. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. But then they get to that final car and they've slaughtered their way through all these henchmen. And the conversation of killing comes back up. Yeah, Bucky asks, like, have you seen Mackenzie in this train? And Sam goes like, she is not, she's a soldier. She's not a killer. And Bucky replies like, is there something you want to say to me, Sam? Yeah. And Sam is caught completely off guard when Again, Bucky asks that. It's a great two panel section from Vincentini. Like the expression on Bucky's face of just like frustration and disgust is all there. And the way he shadows it, mm -hmm. like you, you feel the impact of the emotion on Bucky. And this is a great example of Brene Brown's The Story You're Telling Yourself. Yes, yes. Like every time Sam is talking about who's a soldier, who's a killer, who's a Frank Castle, like Bucky always thinks that He's being Sam judged. is talking about him and that Sam thinks of him as a killer and therefore a bad person that he does not like. But if we go back to the friend tips that you mentioned, you got to remember like Falcon could do this mission on his own. Like they could have broken up and figured this out uh, and gone their separate ways. But Falcon is choosing to do this attack on Hydra together. He should be assuming that Sam likes him because there, Sam is handing, yeah, having him around. There's some kind of respect there. But I don't think that Sam is being that great of a friend either because I don't think that Bucky feels seen or heard. Like, Bucky has been trying to broach this conversation and Sam's job is to talk to traumatized veterans and the fact that he's not picking up on those cues goes to show that he is not fully embracing Bucky as a friend. And the comic never really does this, but in my mind, I think that's because Steve Rogers is in the middle between them. Mm. And that Sam and Bucky will always have that barrier of Steve. Because they, when they are together, they feel his absence. Yes, I think so. I think you're onto something. But again, that conversation has to get cut short because they got to find out who Zemo's protege is. They kick down the door of the final car and who's Zemo's protege? Zemo. Except according to Zemo, he's not the real problem. He didn't order the hit on the OFU. His rival did. And the rival should be your target. And Sam and Bucky are inclined to agree with him. And Zemo gives them the natural natural's address or the natural's parents home address 
And boy, if you thought The Natural was a frustrating geek, his parents are 10 times worse. Their home is a shrine to Captain America. It is a living hell for Sam and Bucky. Here are two guys who can never get from underneath Steve Rogers' shadow, surrounded wall to wall in Captain America memorabilia. Bert and Gertie, super nerdy about Captain America, weirdly chill about their son being exploited by Hydra. And they're like mildly amused that they have two former Captain Americas sitting in their living room. I think they kind of feel like it's inevitable. Uh, oh, you think it's inevitable? I thought in their heads they would be those like hashtag not my Captain America type of people. But they do have spare Captain America suits, their Captain America suits lying around. That's what collectors do. They collect things even if they don't like them. And wear them often enough to give those suits a weird smell. Okay, yeah, 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 that's gross. I don't want to kink shame anyone. It's totally cool to be into Captain America and role play. And they're really helpful. They know that the only way to get through to their son, the natural, is through his love of Cap. And it works. Well, it works right into a trap <laughs> uh, because they find the natural and then they are immediately attacked by a horde of Hydra stormtroopers. And as they're fighting in their cap suits, ill-fitting cap suits, <laughs> Sam starts calling out for Sally McKenzie and Bucky is like, maybe this Sally person does not want to be found. Maybe some people are just not into group therapy. And Sam goes like, Healing is different for everyone. And if Sally joined Hydra, it was in a moment of weakness. And when people are in trouble, they can do very bad things, but they can still come out of it. Yeah, Bucky wants to say, like, some people are born bad. He does say some people are born bad. Right, and, and that just strikes against the very core belief system that Sam has. But I think that it's a huge thing that Bucky is saying this out loud to Sam because he thinks that if Sam knows he thinks this, that he'll get rejected. Yeah, he's talking about himself. He's like, maybe I was born bad. And I don't think that Sam hears that yet. But he will. And that conversation ends with Sam going like, If Sally joined Hydra, I wouldn't reject her. I would bring her back. Redemption. Yeah. And I think that the idea of redemption is very hard for Bucky because he hates his past so much. He's having difficulty considering that he himself can be redeemed, and he's always pushing up against that idea. He won't believe in the redemption of others until he can believe in the redemption of himself. Eventually, Sam and Bucky do manage to knock out all of those Hydra trainees, and the natural returns and was like, that was amazing, guys. And he is now wearing his own Captain America suit. And Sam is like, why Why Captain America? Mm. Like, why do you want to be like the next Cap? Yeah, and he says something like, well, that you know, my parents kind of gifted me this obsession. And I guess it could have been worse. It could have been Hawkeye, Lisa. And I do like <laughs> Bucky's little retort with a, yeah, you're right. See, they get each other. And Sam goes like, If you want to be the next Captain America, how do you justify killing all of these people? And 
the natural starts going on about like, oh, the real villain is bureaucracy and red tape and TV talent shows. And the new Hydra is showing me all of this. And Sam goes like, you are being led down a really dark path, but it's not too late. Look at Bucky. He turned it around after being the brainwashed winter soldier. And if he can do it, you can do it. Mm. You just have to want to. And he's got this great big smile on his face when he delivers that message. So talk about the liking gap. Bucky has been thinking that Sam looks at him like this irredeemable killing monster. But in actuality... Sam has seen him as redeemed this entire time. Right, right. Yeah, I. you know what? I didn't even really, like, connect that. Like, the narrative that Sam had about Bucky was so different than Bucky's narrative of what Sam's narrative of Bucky would be. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And Bucky embraces the idea of the pep talk, this thing that he's been rejecting. And he says, like, kid, right now we're walking in a little blood, but if you keep <laughs> going down this path, you're going to be waiting in it. And you do not want to be waiting in it. You can always step back. You can always change course. We've been talking about this a little bit in our Patreon Disney Plus breakdowns, but what makes a Captain America Captain America? And one of the things that we've been discussing is how Captain America has to have optimism and faith in humanity. And what Bucky shows here, what Sam shows here is this notion that you you can sin, you can do wrong, but you can do right again. Like sinning doesn't put you on a permanent path. Leave no one behind. Right. And that's like another thing that we've been talking about on this podcast for the last two years is how everyone fails. You accept that and you know that you just need to fail better. To be Captain America, to be a hero, it's not to be perfect. It's to be better and want to do better. And that pep talk works on the natural. The natural does side with Bucky and Sam to go against this rival Hydra leader who turns out to be Veronica Eden. What the what? Yeah, um, Bucky's handler from the OFU. And while they're all huddled together in this cargo plane on their way to get her, they have this very insightful conversation about what it means to be Captain America. The natural's like, Cap bleeds red, white, and blue. If you're an enemy of America, you're an enemy of Cap. And then Bucky's like, well, you know, you got to remember Captain America, he uh, actually had two parents who were Irish immigrants, and the super soldier serum comes from Dr. Erskine, who was a Jew who escaped Germany. So, and then Sam says like, yeah, Captain America actually represents the melting pot of ideologies that exist within America. And of course the natural is like, boring, you sound like a documentary. And we see here that the natural doesn't care about Steve Rogers at all or what he stood for as a person. He just uses the story of Steve Rogers to bolster and underscore the bigoted ideas that he already has. Right, he's not trying to learn from Captain America's story. He's trying to make Captain America's story work for his 
fantasies. Which leave him open to be targeted and manipulated by Hydra. When the three of them eventually land in Nevada, they're actually met by a Hydra agent who takes them to meet up with Veronica Eden in a roadside diner. And there, Eden tries to talk them into siding with her against Zemo as opposed to siding with Zemo against her. And we also learn that she was not the one who killed everybody at OFU. It was the natural who just kind of did it for crazy teenage boy reasons. And she was actually pretty sad when everybody from her office was murdered because even though she was using the OFU office to siphon off terrorist sympathetic individuals to bring them into her little subsect of Hydra, she did also pitch in for <laughs> their birthday cakes, you know? Like she hung out with those people every day and guess what? She kinda liked them. They were kinda her friends. Which relates back to the article and the mere exposure effect. When she entered the OFU office, mm. she was infiltrating as an enemy. And she stayed an enemy, let's be real. But she did gain sympathy just being around those people. Yeah, that's why offices have birthday parties for their employees. It's a trick. It's, mor it's for morale. It's for our mental health. It's a trick. It's manipulation. We shouldn't be so cynical, Brad. <laughs> but that conversation does lead to another fight with the natural. And it's another excellent combat that leads to some philosophical debate on what makes the best Captain America. And I love this moment where Sam and Bucky say to the kid, like, it's not about winning. It's about taking the hits. It's about tasting defeat and then keep going which is something that is extremely fetishized over in the MCU with Steve Rogers. You know, I could do this all day and how that line gets repeated over and over throughout the Captain American Avengers movies. It's something that I learned from Rocky Balboa. You know, it's about the hits you take. It's not about the hits you give. Another beautiful thing about this conversation with the natural is we really see Bucky embrace and share with Sam this mentorship role, this idea of teaching and passing on mm. Steve Rogers's life lessons, because this is something, this is not a fundamental difference between Sam and Bucky. This is something that they see eye to eye on. Yeah. If you get knocked down, you get back up. And this meeting of the minds actually acts as a bridge through which Sam and Bucky can actually start building their friendship in earnest. Yes, that's totally true, but something else has to happen before that can happen. And it has to do with Zemo and Veronica Eden, who are also having a big dust up outside the diner while Sam, the natural, and Winter Soldier are throwing down. The natural eventually gets defeated. Sam gets tossed outside the diner through the window and they stumble into this melee with Hydra agents. The action goes back and forth for a little while, but eventually Bucky gets a pistol and has it on Veronica and he wants to take her out permanently. And again, we're back to the conversation of Sam saying, we do not kill. And Bucky is like, why not? We could take them both out right now and Hydra would be rudderless. 
And Sam is like, do I do I need to make another speech? <laughs> and Bucky says, once a killer, always a killer. And Sam is like, if that's what you really want. And suddenly, Veronica Eden has a gun, but and somebody shoots to wound, and that somebody is a Hydra agent who turns out to be Sally McKenzie, mm, mm, mm. the vet from Sam's group. So she proves Bucky wrong. She was a Hydra agent, and she chose to be better and shoot to wound Veronica Eden so that she could be arrested. Yeah, Sam's words to Bucky are important to note. It's, it's He says, you know, if you want to be a killer, you will be a killer. It's a choice. And here is Mackenzie making a choice not to be a killer, having joined up with Hydra and now turning her back on it. One of the things that is so fascinating about Bucky Barnes is when he was his worst, when he was the Winter Soldier, he was brainwashed. He was completely out of control. And, like, to me, like, psychologically, what that must do, like, if I wasn't me then, then how do I know that I am me, me now, now yeah. or have ever been me? What if the Winter Soldier is me? What if I'm just lying to myself? So I, I love how this five-issue arc that... Um, can feel kind of jokey and kind of trite and kind of compulsory in the light of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier MCU television miniseries is still asking these enormous questions of, are we our thoughts? Are we our past? Are we our actions? Who are we? When we talk about what makes Captain America Captain America, we must also talk about what makes Bucky Barnes Bucky Barnes now. And it's that first page of the first issue, him meditating, looking inward. Bucky Barnes has to question who he is and who he was and who he wants to be. And Sam, as his friend should challenge him to be better and be open to having these discussions about his past that scare him. But they need to go back to that moment where Sam was telling the natural, look at Bucky Barnes, right? They need to put it out there that like, hey, we are friends. Mm -hmm. You know, I like you, you like me, we like each other. They have to have that confidence of their own relationship. And they have to initiate. Yes, yes. They have to actively do friend things. Their friendship is not going to happen organically. They have to work at it. So Mackenzie gives Bucky a great gift, and that allows Bucky and Sam to unite in a way that they had not done before prior to this comic book miniseries. And this issue ends with Bucky finally going to Sam's support group for traumatized veterans. And so this goes back to the idea of vulnerability. Like, now it feels safe for Bucky 
to talk about his past, frankly and sorrowfully, and he knows that Sam is not going to reject him. And the final two panels of the comic show Bucky introducing himself and his kitty cat Alpine to Sam's VA group. And it's important to note that when Sam asks who would like to start, it's Bucky who kicks things off by raising his hands. And the last panel is the cityscape. And we hear people saying, hi, Bucky. Hi, Bucky. Hi, Bucky. Hi, Alpine. And you're left with this sense of warmth and hope for Sam and Bucky as a couple, as friends. So Lisa, I think I can tell that you really enjoyed this comic and this conversation. I certainly did. But looking back over it now, what are you pulling out of this story, out of this relationship, out of this article, out of these friend tips? I don't know about you, but for me, the idea of the friendship gap is revelatory to me because you know me in social groups. I get (laughs) very verklempt and self-conscious and doubting hypercritical of everything that I do. And I am able to come up with all of these reasons why everybody around me didn't like me Uh because of one reason or another. There is something that I say all of the time that you hate. (laughs) And that is in social situations, I am the consolation Uh, spouse. I do hate that. Where I feel like Brad is the one of us who is social and likable and and smart and nerdy and all of these like wonderful things. I do enjoy a gathering more than you do. I don't have the stress of the social occasion like you do. But that does I, not make you a consolation spouse. But like I love you so much. <laughs> I when I, when keeping score, I go Brad is more likable than me. And therefore, the reason I'm around is because people want you around. And and then I'm just like this little secondhand rose, which and, is not true. Right. OK, good. So has this conversation helped you realize that that is not true, that people want to hang out with you because they are hanging out with you? I think the idea of just presuming that people like me for who I am and going from there is would make my socialization a lot easier. Just going like, these people invited me into this room. They are not actively looking for reasons to kick me out, for starters. And then, if I think of myself as a likable person, and and therefore just truly go out and be myself, If somebody rejects me for being me, I don't want to be friends with that person anyway, which is advice that is easy to give. And when I'm at my like most mentally and emotionally healthful, when you're podcasting, I can say that, but like, (laughs) you know, it's, it's It's hard. It's a challenge. It's a practice. It's a journey. Exactly. How about you, sweetheart? Well, I mean, I don't want to copy exactly what you said, but my big takeaway from 
the friend tips is that one about assuming that the other person likes you. And I think you can take that idea into other relationships. You can take that over to work. You know, like sometimes I, I doubt if I am great at my job, but if I wasn't great at my job, they'd fire my ass, mm -hmm. right? And so assume that your company likes you. Assume that your friends like you. You will be happier. And if they don't like you, they will tell you and they will stop being your friends and you'll stop being their friends. And that's fine. There are also other ways to close the liking gap. You don't have to do it from the side of, just from the side of assuming that the other person likes you. You can also assume that the other person doesn't know how much you like them. Mm. So if you have mm. a friend mm. yes. that you appreciate, go out of your way Proactive. to close that liking gap and say, I like you. I like you for these reasons. Yeah. And for these reasons, I have you around. Yeah, we've talked about that a little bit in the relationship side of things, in our romantic relationship, where it's always good to be proactive in showing your love for a person. And that goes for friendships, definitely. And also the idea of, like, friendships are about mental health. If you are feeling isolated, if you're feeling sad or lethargic, like it might be because you're lonely and it might feel hard to reach out to somebody. Sometimes initiating feels like this enormous hurdle, but once you get over it and you interact with a friend and you have this mutually beneficial social engagement, mm. you you might actually feel a lot better. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm also coming away from this conversation loving Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes in a new way as a couple. Uh, I was hesitant starting this story going like, oh, they're just trying to MCU up these characters for the comics. And while that may or may not be true, I like what Landy and Vincentini do here. And I would love to see this story continue in an ongoing. It doesn't look like that's going to happen, but there's enough here in these five issues to warrant a saga of friendship. I'm really impressed at how much character yeah. they could pack into these five issues, especially considering that the Two back issues, four and five, are mostly action. Yeah, yeah. And I like approaching the mantle of Captain America from two dudes who had it and lost it. And it's, you know, in the MCU version of the story, it's old man Steve is between them. And, like, we still got to figure out, like, what's going on with old man Steve? Is he alive? Is he dead? Is he in hiding? What's going on? I don't know. But there's, like, a, there's a loss and a sense of grieving in the MCU version when it comes to Steve Rogers, Sam and Bucky. Whereas in the comics, Steve Rogers is very much alive and his shadow is the mantle that they once shared and no longer do. And I, I, and I that's a slight variation on the dynamic that I think this comic really peels the layers on in a way that I was not anticipating with the introduction of the natural, which at first was a character I was like, oh boy, I don't like this kid. Mm -hmm. But 
wow, did they do some interesting stuff with them. I have really enjoyed talking about these two guys as a couple, Mm. as a two-person community. Mm. And hopefully we can return to these two. Hopefully there are other iterations of their story that we can really sink our teeth into. Yeah, I want to explore a little bit more of the Nick Spencer era and like the Ed Brubaker Winter Soldier spinoff comic. Like I've read some of that stuff on the fringes, but I wonder if there's more stories between Sam and Bucky that we could explore in a future series. We're definitely going to continue talking about them in our Patreon episodes. Have we mentioned that we have a Patreon? Uh, regarding the Disney Plus series. We've got three more episodes to cover. Uh, the new episode just dropped today, so we got to talk about that ASAP. Um, but for now, we're going to move on. Tell them what's happening next week, Brad. So we're knocking down the door of another creator corner. We'll be chatting with comic book scribe Rob Williams about his new Judge Dread graphic novel, End of Days. I love Dread, and I love Rob's Dread. End of Days is now available to order in the States, and it is excellent. I would also recommend reading his Dread comic, Control. Really phenomenal stuff, and a good place to start if you're curious about Dread or 2000 AD and their comic book universe. Okay, Brad, let's get out of here. This this mask is starting to smell weird. Where can our <laughs> listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias, at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott, at a cool hand fluke. And if you have words of affirmation for our radical banner art, send them to Karen Charm over at at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and iTunes. If you'd like to get exclusive, (laughs) you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you would like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, www.comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, gang, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson, and ever since I can remember, I've been nuts about birds. And I'm Brad Gullickson, and ever since I can remember, I too have been nuts about birds. I don't think you should add the two. I think it's funnier if you don't (laughs) add the two. Uh, Because I should stick to the Stanley script? Yes. Okay, yeah. I will do that, Lisa.